Last week we had started chapter 11 of Hebrews and we only got about three or four verses into it because we were so rich with information in there. The fact that even though our world continues to spin out of control, God still speaks today. Do you agree with me? God still speaks today. And how does he speak? Well, he speaks through general revelation as we see items of nature that we cannot control. And he speaks to the lives of faithful people here today. And the writer of Hebrews drives this point home even further through the remainder of the verses of this chapter by taking us through what I would call an Old Testament Hall of Fame. This Hall of Fame, it reminds us of the faith of those who have been the the rock of what we base our Christian life on. When you think about people like Noah and Moses and David and these folks that knew God in an intimate way and that were saved, not because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ had not come to the world yet, but they were saved by what, folks? By their faith, by God speaking with them, giving them a task and them saying, yes, Lord, I will go. Well, do we have people of that caliber today? Could there be people in this very sanctuary this morning that are the same caliber of faith? Now, many of you in here, I doubt any of you have have split a sea in your past. I, I doubt that any of you have raised someone from the dead, but but there again, those great things that were, were done in the Old Testament, those things that, that were done by Jesus in the New Testament, they were amazing things. But even Jesus said, I've done all these miracles in front of you, and you still do not believe. So don't discount the fact that if you haven't done a grand miracle, just the fact that you had the strength to put your feet on the floor, put on some clothes, and come to church today is an act of faith for some of you. And so I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to dive into God's Word here and see this hall of fame that the writer of Hebrews has given to us. I remember when I was a child, uh, and we took a trip to Washington, D.C. I've been to D.C. a, a few times in, in my life now, but this is the first time. If you've been to Washington, D.C., raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up if you've been to the Smithsonian. Okay, yeah, we've got a lot of people who have been to the Smithsonian. You, that, that, you don't have to put your hand up anymore. Unless you get so moved, right? Amen. But the, the Smithsonian is just an amazing thing. Now, of course, me being a science fiction geek, I really enjoy the, the Air and Space Museum. But the other things, they were cool as well. Just to walk through and see pieces of moon rock or, or to see these amazing displays or, or even mannequins or, or video presentations of what has happened in our past to bring us here today is absolutely amazing. And I'm, I think of sometimes you'll go to places that have a tour and they don't have a tour guide, but they'll give you like an earpiece and a little thing that you hold and it gives you a self-guided tour. You ever been on a self-guided tour? Well, that's good because if you see something not interesting, you just fast forward and move on, right? But in this instance, I want to encourage you to just open your Bibles, and if you have one, great. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you. Just open it up because chapter 11, it reads just like a tour guide. And I just want you, if you would, to take a journey through me as we walk through these hallowed halls of faith and see some of these men and women that have helped us shape our faith. Well... 
What lessons can we learn from them today? Well, as we look, we'll start with verse 4 of chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he speaks through his faith. Kind of reminds me of the dumb Bible joke that says, why did Cain kill his brother? Because he was able. Amen. See, it's just bringing the house down, right? But anyway, kids love it. But we see that Cain killed his brother Abel because God saw Abel's sacrifice as being more meaningful. Well, the difference in the brothers was their sacrifices that they gave to God. Now, now both brothers, we know that they, they have the first sibling rivalry because there's Adam and Eve and then there's Cain and Abel. So if you've ever fought with your brothers, then you kind of know what Cain and Abel went through, right? And, and hopefully none of you have killed your brother, but at the same time we see that there are some dynamics here. Cain, he was a farmer, he toiled the land. He worked it. His dad had showed him how to, to make crops grow. His dad had showed him how to, to work the land. And then, so Abel, he was a shepherd. And so he took care of the livestock. And he took care of, of the, the, the meat that they would eat. And Cain took care of the, the food, the, the vegetables that they would eat. But then when it came time to worship, we see here that Cain brought some of his harvest to the sacrifice, to worship. But we also see there's a big difference because Abel, it says that Abel brought his firstborn. And so we can infer from that a few things. First of all, is that heroes show faith in their worship. What was the difference between Cain and Abel? Cain gave some of what he had Abel gave the best of what he had. Giving some of what we have to God, I want you to understand today, is no sacrifice. We kind of joke sometimes and say, you know, are we tipping God today or are we tithing today? Folks, listen, it has no, I, I don't know what people make. I don't know what people tithe. But I know this, God does. And God knows whether we are giving our first fruits or what's left over. And that's for me as well. But our time and our talents and our money, God knows, folks, when your worship is half-hearted. He knows your heart, just like he knew the difference between Cain and Abel. And another reason God may have favored Abel's sacrifice was the fact that Abel's sacrifice included something very Different than Cain's. Do you know what the difference, not only about Cain giving the, the vegetables and then Abel giving the animals? There was one difference in the sacrifices. One was a sacrifice of blood. The other was a sacrifice of food. And we know from the Old Testament, we know when it comes to worship, when we, we know when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, even because the reason Jesus had to die on the cross for your sins and mine is because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Abel's worship 
was more heartfelt. Abel's worship was centered around the blood. Abel's sacrifice was a living sacrifice, taking something that is living, that is precious to him, and sacrificing it on the altar for God, while Cain's was not a living sacrifice. It was just something he gave to worship God. Now, the difference between Cain and Abel here we see is that Cain gave himself over to sin rather than resisting it. When if you go back and you read that account in Genesis chapter 4, it says, But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, because sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Let me go ahead and go on record today. Every one of you in here is a sinner. Woohoo, I'm pointing at you, you're a sinner. Nah, 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 nah. But you know what? I'm a sinner as well. What's that old saying? If you point your finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. I'm a sinner as well. We are all sinners. But the difference is, is that for those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, we are no longer a slave to that sin. We have a way out. Cain and Abel both had an opportunity to give into sin or to get out of it. I see people all the time say, Preacher, I don't know why my life is going like it is. And I'm like, well, if you would just quit putting those things in your body and doing these things with these people, then you would have a better life. Oh, but, I, you know, it's just, it's just too much. I can't handle it. I know you can't handle it. That's why there's Jesus Christ. Folks, some of you in here today might be flirting with sin. Let me just tell you point blank. Get rid of it. Because it will become your master. Resist from it. And he will flee from you. Because we see here that our faith and our worship, just like Abel's, our faith and worship, it must be genuine. 1 John 3.12 says, Unless... Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one, who was of the evil one. That means that Cain, although he tried to sacrifice for the Lord, it was heartfelt because he was not God's. He was of the evil one and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Here's the thing. We need to know the difference. And here's what we need to know the difference of. We need to know the difference. Cain was religious in his worship, but he was not righteous. I believe that's the next slide. Cain was religious in his worship, but he was not righteous. There are people sitting in churches today, and it might be even you, that you are as consumed with evil than the worst person in the world. And I want you to know that, that coming in and throwing a dollar bill in the plate and saying, okay, check off, I've been to church, and you go on Sunday, you go to church, and on Monday you live like hell through the rest of the week, you're no different than Cain. If you are ruled by evil, if the evil one has got his hands on you, then you are not getting worship accomplished on Sunday mornings. You are following a religion. i got news for you. When the rapture comes, these pews are going to stay here. And they are going to burn with everything else. But those people that have genuinely paid the price by putting their faith in Jesus Christ 
And for those that trust him, they will go and be raptured and be taken to a new heaven and a new earth. Not those that are religious, but those who are righteous. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. If someone has to tell you how much of a Christian they are, they're probably not. If you have to try to convince people that you go to church, just stop. Because our, our world is filled with people saying, if we go to church, then we're okay. That's not true. The biggest, hardest mission field to reach are the pews in the churches of America today. I would hate to know that we have a cane in here today that is doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. The point here is that we are not saved by our works, nor can we live in sin and claim to be right with God. Folks, if you can go to church on Sunday and sin on Monday through Saturday and have no regret about it, then you have a religion, my friend, not a relationship. I'm not saying that if you come to church on Sunday and you mess up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm not saying you won't mess up. You will, because I will. But if you can do it and not feel bad about it and make it a habit and not get out of it, that's where you run into trouble. The second hero we see is in verse 5. We see Enoch. Enoch says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. He was not found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Folks, as we move from Cain and Abel, we come to Enoch, who was a man who had a growing relationship with God. So here's the question I have for you. Does your relationship with God lead you to desire fellowship with him? Does your relationship with God desire you to have fellowship with him? Look, look, I understand having a quiet time, having time alone with the Lord, it's tough. For some people, you can get up. Some of you get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't see how you do that. My clock doesn't have a 4 o'clock in the morning on it. I don't buy one with a 4 o'clock in the morning on it. But then again, some of you go to bed at 7.30. I can't do that either. But listen, we all have different schedules. We all have different times. The great thing is, whenever you decide to spend time with the Lord and seek Him, you will find Him. Enoch knew that. Enoch saw that. And the people, we must desire to have a fellowship with him, Because I'll tell you what, listen, all of us in here, we have friends that we like to be around. We have our pew buddies, you know. Everybody sits in the same, similar location. And, and you know, we do, we do our greeting, we do move around and stuff. But for the most part, we all get back to where, where we are at every week because God doesn't work in another pew, does it? <laughs> he only speaks to you right there. But... The harsh fact of this is when you and I, we place other things in front of the fellowship with God. You know what he calls us? 
Don't take my word for it. Let's read his word. James chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. (laughs) You adulterers, ouch. You adulterers, people who are committed to God but cheating with someone else. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. When we cheat on God by not having time with him in sweet fellowship, when we, do, when we desire the company of another person and another thing over our valuable time with God, God calls you and I an adulterer. We are a cheating spouse because the love that is meant for God, we're given to other people. But Enoch shows us that having the desire to have fellowship with God, we must actively seek it. Listen, we can say, oh yeah, preacher, I hear you. I'm going to have my quiet time twice as many times this week than I had last week. And hey, that's okay if you do that. That's great. But do you really desire to be in the presence of the Lord? Because when we desire God... God wants more than your righteousness and your righteous acts. He wants your time, your attention, your affection, and your love. That is what God wants from you today. He, he is happy that you're in his house. Don't get me wrong. I am happy that you're in his house. But he doesn't want your attendance. He wants your heart. He wants your dreams. He wants your time. He wants the fact that when you go home, and your, your lunch is burned, and you're going to have to order out, that you just say, well, you know, that was a bad day. But God, I'm upset about that. He wants to know when you're upset about the little things and when you're upset about the big things as well. Well, we also see, we see that uh, heroes show faith in their work. Noah, Noah here, God had all of Noah because it showed in his work. It says in Genesis 2, 5 through 6, that no shrub of the field had grown, yet the land had no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land. Noah was a man of faith. Noah was a man that did the work even when it didn't make sense. He was building an ark for a flood, and they had never seen rain. That's crazy, isn't it? So when God comes to you and he asks you to do something that might sound crazy, maybe it's teach a class, maybe it's work in a ministry, maybe it's reach out to a friend, maybe whatever it may be. When God asks you to do something that sounds a little crazy, I've learned this. When I'm seeking God's will, usually if it's something that makes sense to me, it's not God's will. God always talks to the crazy. It doesn't make sense to follow God at times when he leads you in these directions, but it is always beneficial. We see another hero. We see Adam, or not Adam, but Abraham and Sarah. In verses 8 through 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as his inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise.
for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architects is the builder of God. Abraham and Sarah, they were waiting on God's promises. What does it mean by that? Well, number one, God asked Abraham to go to a land that God had for him and gave him no details. He just said, go. Sarah and Abraham wanted a child. You know how long she had to wait for her child? A hundred years. <laughs> Can you imagine a hundred-year-old woman today giving birth to a baby? That would be front-page news, wouldn't it? Don't you think around year 50 or 60 she thought about just giving up? Don't you think about year 70 she thought, well, God's answered that prayer. That's never going to happen. You ever been there? You, you pray to God for something and you ask and it doesn't happen right when you want it. And so you say, oh, well, it's over. And then years later, it comes to fruition. Folks, don't put God on your timetable. It's okay to wait for him to work. Sarah and Abraham see that. It says in verse 11, I love this, it says, Even though she was past the age, in other words, her childbearing days were gone. What does it say there in verse 11? With God, all things are possible and worth the wait. With God, all things are possible and worth the wait. I don't know what you're waiting on for God, but it's going to be worth it. I don't know what you're waiting on, but keep waiting on because remember this with God all things are possible could you say that with me with God all things are possible one more time with God all things are possible so if you remember nothing else that this red-headed red-faced preacher said to you this morning you can remember this with God all things are possible and if you don't believe me Look at the hall of faith. Look at Hebrews 11 and see how he worked in his people beforehand. Abraham, he was waiting on God to provide as well. We see in verses 17 through 19, we see that Abraham was tested when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the same son that he had waited a hundred years for. Does it make sense that God would ask Abraham now to take him up to Mount Moriah and kill him. It makes no sense. Abraham could have got mad at God. Abraham could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. But he knew the fact that we just said, with God, all things are possible. So they start making their way up the mountain. And they're bringing the wood and they're bringing all these supplies. And, and his son says, Dad, where is the lamb? And Abraham doesn't say anything. As they get closer and closer to the point. And then the son realizes he is a sacrifice. And if you read that passage, you see the pain and, and the trust that Abraham has. That, that as he is, is raising this dagger to kill his only son, God says, wait. Go look on the other side of the mountain. And there was a sacrifice that was provided for Isaac. Why in the world did God make him do that? As, a, as a, those of you that are fathers, how could you imagine doing that 
to your son. But when you go back and, and we look at it with 2020 vision now, in this day and age, we can go back and look. The reason that this was, this was an actual illustration of what God would have to do himself with his own son, Jesus Christ. And God knew that he would not have all of Abraham until he had Isaac. Until Abraham could say, this son that I waited a hundred years for, he's yours, God. And if you've called me to do this, I will do this. And so we see a premonition of what God is going to do. But the difference is, is that when that dagger was raised, no one said, wait. Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine. Abraham was a forerunner of that. Heroes also show faith in their leadership. We see in verses 23 through 31, we see Moses here. Moses' faith and leadership. We see that his leadership impacted others. We see that Moses' faith led people's God. We see that Moses' faith led people out of slavery with God's direction. We also see in verse 31, Rahab the prostitute. She's in the Bible? Preacher, what translation are you reading? It's in KJV too. She was not known for what she was. You see, when you study Rahab the prostitute, nothing ever says that she went back to doing what she was doing. And the thing is, is that by including her in this passage, here's the beautiful thing. Rahab was not known for what she did in her past that was evil. Why was she in this passage? She was not known for her poor choices. She was known for being a woman of faith. What does that say to you and to me? I'll tell you what it says. I don't know about you, but I was jacked up growing up. I was messed up. I had issues. And I thank God that those things are not what defines me. It's what I've done with God, what God has done with me that defines me. Some of you in here might think, I've got nothing to prove to God. But we see here, absolutely in Rahab, it doesn't matter what she was. She had faith in God, and God made her something beautiful. It is from her that that as you read in Matthew, the, the family line of Jesus, she is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. You remember Boaz and Ruth? Boaz was Rahab's son. So yes, it calls Sir Rahab the prostitute because that's what we remember her as in the Old Testament. But she is praised in this passage for being a woman of faith. Do not ever say that God can't use me to do something because of my past. Don't ever say that because if you do, you're going straight against what he has done through Rahab here. Everybody can be known for their faith, not their bad mistakes. We also see in verses 32 through 38, heroes show faith in their life and in their death. He lists here some warriors and some are martyrs. Some are warriors and some are martyrs. People who died for their faith. Folks, folks, there are warriors today. There 
are men and women in our armed forces that are Bible-believing Christians, and they are having to reconcile scriptures and knowing that some of the things they have to do in active war is not things that are pleasant. But they do it because God has called them to do it. There are people that are giving their faith, that are giving their lives for their faith. Today, there are martyrs. Go to the Voice of Martyrs. Just Google Voice of Martyrs. And you will see a website dedicated to those that are dying for their faith every day. Here and overseas. This is not just an Old Testament thing. This is a today thing. And then finally, last but not least, let's look at the heroes of faith like us. They need Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let's look at verses 39 through 40. It says this. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. These heroes of faith were known for their faith, but they were not made perfect. Why? Because they had not received the forgiveness of their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Here's the thing. When I read these men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, you know what I understand? I will never be as good as them. But thanks to Jesus, I don't have to be. But you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on the same thing we're waiting on. Let me tell you what that is. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 2 say this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. These Old Testament heroes are waiting for the same thing that we are, the glorious return of Jesus Christ, and the establishment of a new heaven. And a new earth. They are having to wait just as we are having to wait. They are not going to be made perfect until that day of reckoning happens. You and I are not going to be made perfect until that day of reckoning happens. So until that day, God will continue to call. The Holy Spirit will continue to draw. And His Son Jesus will continue to prepare for His return until that day when it's over. And the new heaven and the new earth come. So he is drawing today. He is calling men and women just like you, boys and girls, to be people of faith. Because one day, the drawing's going to stop. And one day, all the preparation will have been done. And Jesus Christ is coming back. Will you be a hero of faith? Others are depending on you. Please don't sit in this pew today and bank on a religion. Focus on your relationship with God. If you'd like to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and, and have the same promises given to you that are given to these men and women of faith, then you can do that. Come forward. I will pray with you. And we, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you don't have a religion. 
but that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If your fellowship is strained with God, whatever is in between you and Him, confess it, repent of it, and return to Him. If you have a prayer need or would like to join this church, this invitation is the time for you to respond. Now listen, I understand that, that as we get up, people are going to say, well, why do I have to walk down the aisle? I don't want everybody to see me. That's okay. You don't have to walk down the aisle. There's nothing scriptural about walking down the aisle. But I can tell you one thing. If you walk out of this building, it'll be a lot harder for you to do business with God than you're doing right now. And I can't walk to everybody and talk to you individually. That's why God calls you to come forward at this moment. This invitation time is his and for you to respond. Would you please stand up?